0: Hi and welcome to the Msingi Talks podcast, a podcast hosted by Msingi Trust. This podcast ventures deeper into issues of faith, advocacy, activism, and makes connections between these worlds. Psalms 89.14 states that justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne, and here we unpack how the church, as the body of Christ and institution, can faithfully embody justice and righteousness in both word and deed. Karibuni and let's do justice. everybody and welcome to another episode of Msingi talks podcast i'm so very excited and joyous and i've just come from telling her that my heart is doing is having butterflies (laughs) because i can't wait for us to have this conversation we'll be talking to my sister mandisa and i want her to introduce herself to you mandisa Hi, say hi to the people.
1: Hi, Carol, um, and your big family. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my name is Mandy um I'm based in Cape Town, South Africa. And I'm a feminist Christian activist. <laughs> um, and I know just by saying that, <sighs> eyebrows are already like, <laughs> mm-hmm. Because, how um, be and feminist, Christian, and
0: activist—all of those three—all
1: have... of those things in one.
0: Yeah.
1: And yeah, I, I'm passionate about justice. I'm passionate about black women, in particular. Mm. Hence, uh, I fly my feminist flag very high, mm. um, because I I believe in the Right to life and right to, like we were saying before we started recording, to bodily autonomy for everyone, um, and especially the the most marginalized. Yeah. And, and for me, my starting point is poor black women,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I hold on to my Christian values because I believe God is is for justice. Right. And so I am a feminist and an activist because I believe in God, (laughs) Um, you know, and I think my belief in God and my conviction of God pushes me to to speak out for the marginalized, to, to try and imagine a just world, Mm -hmm. and to think through how we get to that, right? Um, Because we know that as things stand, we can't claim to be a a just world and a world that promotes justice. And so how do we reimagine the world that we see? How do we reimagine the the role of the church in building that world? Mm-hmm. and how yeah how do we give birth to that world in the true sense of the word without without trying to make the powers that be happy mm. yeah i was supposed to be just introducing myself but yeah that's that's me that's what i do almost
0: <laughs> almost
1: every day that's that's, me. that's what i do
2: yeah, yeah.
0: So uh, maybe locate yourself in terms of when we hear Cape Town, uh, we have very many ideas of what Cape sure. Town is. Could you help our people um, in understanding Cape Town? and sure. Where you find yourself in Cape Town and what in that Cape. means for the work that you do?
1: Okay, so when I describe Cape Town, most of the time, I I describe Cape Cape Town as the perfect apartheid city. If you want to understand apartheid and how it worked and how it was designed or or the design of an apartheid city, Cape Town is a classic example um, with how black poor people are in the periphery of the city Mm-hmm. While um, white people remain in the well-off inner city suburbs that have access to to every opportunity, really, um, I think if we want to understand if we want to understand apartheid and what apartheid spatial planning looked like, Cape Town Cape Town gives us that opportunity. For better or worse, mm-hmm. um, Cape Town allows us to understand what apartheid what, what sought to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, that we would have Black people in the peripheries not really belonging to the city, not really having ownership of the city, but kind of working for the city mm-hmm. and making sure that the privilege of the privileged remains intact. Right? Um, and so if you see Kailisha, the townships Kail, um, fuleni Delft, all the townships that you can think of peripheries. And the oldest townships in Cape Town were developed right under Apartheid.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the point of the townships in Cape Town was for townships to house cheap labor. Mm. Um, to keep the apartheid capitalist economy going. Mm-hmm. Um, but that city, they, this capitalist apartheid city couldn't bring itself to holding the cheap labor that it needed so much. So there had to be these um, substandard um, areas of residence that were created. So that the cheap labour could be available to the city, but the city isn't available to um, to black people because when we talk about this cheap labour, we are literally talking about poor black people. And so I happened to grow up in one of these uh, townships called Mfuleni, um, about 35 kilometres from the city, from yeah the inner the inner city of Cape Town, and I mean. From, from the early ages of my life, I think, it, it, and I think this is a struggle for every black young person in Cape Town who stays in informal settlements. This, this question and the struggle trying to marry the two worlds in Cape Town, right? The very rich, very posh, um, globally celebrated city.
2: Yeah.
1: And the dirt that surrounds it,
2: yeah.
1: where black people stay. Um, And so I think it it has always been my struggle to try and understand what what this meant, why this was, and what it meant for me as a young um, Black girl growing up in this this situation and wishing, you know, wishing and praying that um, I could also access um, the better part of the city, the first world um part of the city. And I think, as I was growing up, my dream was to grow up and leave mm-hmm. the township and sort of try to 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 live the poverty, leave the the squalor mm. um, and and find a better life for myself. And of course, my family. Um, and I, have, I had those dreams of becoming a chartered accountant because it was, it was quite a thing when I was growing up. Everyone wanted to be either a chartered accountant or an engineer, what else? But yeah, those were the two things. So me, I loved the idea of being a CA. So that's what I started towards oh well that's what I thought I would study towards until I got to varsity and my math wasn't so good so I couldn't (laughs) couldn't (laughs) yeah so I couldn't get in for that and by this time I'm already in the Eastern Cape because my parents are pastors right Mm. and so they were reallocated to a church in Queenstown it's 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 called Gomani now, and it's in it's in the Eastern Cape. It's my dad's hometown, although we had spent most of our lives in Cape Town. But when he was sent back to his hometown to pastor three churches there, um he took that, and we sort of all oh, relocated to 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 that side. Um, and things were not any better that side than they were in in Cape Town, and I think we kind of experienced the real meaning of poverty when we got there where my dad wasn't working, my mom wasn't working, and their only hope was that the church or or God through the church would provide. I think in that, we forgot that um, a church in Komani in three areas, Linge, Komani, there is this inner city and Isabelian, all of these are, are poor areas. Um, all the three churches that my dad was going to to pastor um, were in townships. Mm. Those are poor people. And in the Eastern Cape, the likelihood that they are all going to be able to always tithe and give so that they can sustain a whole family of seven. Mm. that That wasn't to be. And for the seven years that we were there, <laughs> that, was proven that, look, there's no way that a church that consists of 90% unemployed people would mm. be able to to sustain an entire family. And at the time, it felt like people were being spiteful by not um, tithing and giving and all of that. It felt like people were just starving us on purpose. But in retrospect, no, people didn't have the money. Mm um yeah so i applied to go to varsity and yes like i said uh couldn't get in because my meds was terrible and that was because i didn't have a meds teacher for three years in high school Wow! and that just gives you an idea of the kind of school that i went to Mm.
0: um and 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 perspective that in in some, and this is the case of public education in our country's educations, is that you can go for three years without a teacher and be expected to compete with somebody who has, uh, who's had a teacher for three years, who has uh, extra tuition, remedial classes for all those years, and then you're supposed to face them at an equal standing.
1: Yep. Yep. And I mean, that's the reality of most Black children um, in South Africa. Um, If it's not um, teacher shortages, it's infrastructure just around them not working, not having a proper toilet, not having access to a library, a a lab. You know, there's always something missing in many schools and that... there isn't enough being done to provide support for 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 children in 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 lower resourced areas um, just proves that there isn't political will to make sure that black children win in this <laughs> in this capitalist <laughs> society we live in mm-hmm. um yeah and so When I got to Fort Hare, and I hadn't applied to Fort Hare because me, I said I was better. Um, I was applying to Rhodes, UCT. I wanted to just flourish. Um, But last minute, I went to Fort Hare because all the other schools had rejected me because of my maths, particularly. Mm -hmm. So I go to Fort Hare, and Fort Hare says, look, your maths is terrible. There's no way you're going to be able to do accounting. But there is this degree that we want you to try out, and that was um, um, B-admin, majoring in political science and public administration.
2: I'm like, that is the perfect thing for you. Okay, Right? (laughs) I'm like, what? Oh my gosh. Thank
0: God that your math was terrible then. (laughs)
1: I mean, and I, I knew nothing about that. I, I didn't know that you could go to varsity and study politics. Like, had no idea. But because I didn't want to go back home and sit for the whole year and do nothing, I, I took it. Things didn't go well at 40 and My parents didn't have the money and I didn't get um, um financial aid. So I had to drop off, drop mm. out uh, mid-year. Um, And we decided I must come back to Cape Town because my older sister and my brother were already here. Um, So I came here and applied at UWC. Now I know there's this political science thing. Um, And so I applied for it. And I got in and I got financial aid and then boom, I'm here studying um, public administration and political science and economics. in my head at the time, was like, look, I want to major in public admin and economics because government economics. Mm. Um, but yeah, economics swept the floor with me, guys. Like, <laughs> that thing wasn't kind to me. But also because, I, in retrospect, because of my math background, that was quite poor. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: I wasn't, I mean, I was. Um, I was good at what public economics, um, labor economics. I was flourishing. Micro, macro. Oh my god! <laughs> because I had to calculate and, and and no, it didn't work. So I ended up majoring in public admin and political science. And as much as there was this political science, as a it, it was an elective for me, and I, I I I didn't see it as a thing then. And then second year, third year, in in second year, my lecturer, one of the people I feared so much, um, the last test that we wrote that year, she writes me a note behind my scripts and says, if you choose to do um, political science next year as as your major, please apply to be a tutor. I think um, you would be great at it that Was it? I was like, okay, I'm Whoa. nailing this thing clearly. Um, <laughs> and I had failed my first year because of politics and because I hated it, yeah, so much. Uh, and so, yeah, that's 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 how literally I was launched into um political science. Did my third year, past honors, masters, and yes. After that, I get into this um, social justice world and I start working for different organizations that are trying to really imagine a, a just and more equal world. And I think that that has always been my thing. How do we achieve equality? Mm.
2: Um,
0: yeah, uh, man, Mandisa, uh, like I, I feel, I feel so encouraged by your journey because somehow your journey and my journey are mirrored because I wanted to do law and um I wanted to study law but no first I wanted to do medicine then I was like (laughs) no, it's too bloody people are in pain I don't like seeing people in pain and then law and I didn't get the correct marks for for law and then uh just that long story about missing things just missing things and that just missing something sometimes leads you to the right place
1: definitely
0: for me that's my story like i have missed so many things that have led me to my story that if i don't know where i would be maybe i would be right now in a very nice skirt suits very proper you know just doing things (laughs) but i want to take you back a bit i want Mm. i want to take you back to when you um would you there's always a question i love asking people which i find um interesting to hear the response to, but I want to ask Mm. you, what brings you joy as um, Mandisa, what brings you joy? Generally,
1: it doesn't need to be. Is this in a perfect world or in this mess of world?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Generally, (laughs) like when you think of joy, what do you
1: think about? A happy Black woman. Mm. Literally, I'm not lying, when I see a a Black woman laughing their hearts out, Mm. you know, or, you know, happy, Mm. and it's a rare, it's a rare picture, right? Black women are carrying so much. But when I see someone, you know, a Black woman happy, not Mm. a care in the world, that moment for me that that moment is the happiest moment mm.
0: yeah <laughs> look at me I, i'm because i know what that means. i know i know what happiness means man and i know how it is for me in that sense it's so, For me, what makes me happy is um seeing black men happy and laughing and holding sure. hands and holding hands. You do you know what I'm like, laughing yes. from the, yes. from the sunny, that is one of the things that give me joy.
1: Yes. I get you. I understand you perfectly.
0: Yeah. And and what gives you what brings you sorrow?
1: Ah, there's a lot of things. Hmm. I, so I don't know what you guys call townships in your country.
2: We um, call
0: them slums, we call them informal settlements.
1: Informal settlements, yes, yes. And then the very existence of slums, the very existence of, of, of informal settlements. And seeing children growing up in in that situation, I mean, I grew up in an informal settlement, and at the time i didn't I didn't really thought I didn't think there was anything better than what I was exposed to. When I was young. right? But it feels like the situation of informal settlements has actually deteriorated. Yeah. And it has become more violent. Mm. And so the, the extent to which young children in informal settlements are exposed to all sorts of violence and how they grow up to be adults that are desensitized to violence.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, such that you, will find a group of young children watching a person being beaten to death mm-hmm. and unshaken.
2: Yeah.
1: Because the state of Blackness is literally a state of violence. Um, our bodies attract violence, we are used to it because every day um, someone dies, someone is being beaten to death, for having stolen something, someone is being beaten to death for nothing at, at in some instances. And yeah, children being raped, women being raped, children drowning in toilets, just the state of informal settlements and the state of Black people, I think that's what brings me a lot of sadness. And I think that's why I do my work. Mm.
0: yeah yeah and and the and the sadness about that, I think also in my if I echo what you're saying is that it's it's something it's not that we want that life. you know it's It's not that we would rather be sitting in 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 shacks, no, you know? no, and um, I remember for me, for the first time when I heard uh, Prof. talking about um, the the shacks, the the tin houses, and mm. how they are glorified. We live in in what mm. was it? Ten coops in. Sorry, were they? Did they say we live in chicken houses? Yeah,
1: matchboxes.
0: Matchboxes or something like yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. How mm-hmm. we've we've ac- situations have made us accept the 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 matchbox situations that people live in, but also to realize that it's it's a condition of poverty that um. Sure. That's replicated in all places where black people are poor black people poverty means that we live in such spaces yeah it's we live in we live in squalor, we live everywhere we are is that the poverty of a black person is a is a a bad poverty
1: yeah it it assaults it's yeah. Yeah, it's it's always like extreme, extreme poverty. I mean, when other races talk about poverty, it's like mild vibes. Mm. Um. (laughs) 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 But when a black person talks about poverty, Mm. you know, that's like the extreme kind of poverty.
2: Yeah.
1: and, and 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 it's generational. You know, it's passed from one generation to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like, as a race or as a continent, we are trapped in this deep, deep, deep crisis of poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it feels like there's no way out, yeah. Yeah, it feels like we do the work that we do and that's like a drop in the ocean.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: Mandisa, when when did you know that you're poor? When, when, when did you, did you know that you're poor? And then also mm-hmm. another question that I want to ask you is, when did you know that you're called for justice? What is that thing that fired sure. you mean? Yeah.
1: Sure. I think I st- started noticing that, uh, nah, something was off here. Um, as early as primary school, mm. because my township, where where I grew up, had two sort of sides to it. There was one site with um, formal houses. Yeah. So brick houses, electricity, you know, streets and all of those vibes. Um, and then there was the informal settlement part. Um, and I mean, we 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 would be reminded by the other kids who are from at school, we'll be reminded that we are. From the shacks, um, and it would show. Sometimes when the are those days, most you are told at school that you are not wearing uniform. We are fundraising, da 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 da, um, and those are the days where it would be obvious that actually other people are a bit well off than I am. Um, yeah, and then. I mean, when we were here in Cape Town and I was in primary school, I I would see it here and there, but it was not as glaring as it became when we went to Ekoman in the Eastern Cape. And I guess because I was older then, I was in high school, um, I could see how other people could afford things that I couldn't. I there was this <laughs> this particular day I mean I had I had a, a high-heeled sandal and shoes that I thought that I thought were nice I really thought those were like they were my my well, best it's... shoes <laughs> at least mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and so there was going to be a beauty contest and then this girl um who was in my class um asked me if I didn't have like a high-heeled ch- pair of shoes that she could borrow, me. I was like, yes, girl, I got you, I have it, got you. And then I brought it to school. Mm. And her friend was was from one of the rich families in the community. And so when I took it out and how they just laughed their lungs out and I was like, oh. That's what happens when you're poor, and I think that for me that that's sort of felt it that look you don't have a lot in fact, you have nothing, so, so know your line, stay mm-hmm. in your lane and and um, be humble, right? yeah and i mean i i I wouldn't say I remember exactly when I felt a calling to justice. Mm. I think it's always been something a, at the back of my mind that has always bothered me. Um how the world works and how that didn't seem fair. Mm. You know that some people were living in in total lack while other people were living in in total abundance. Um, and how these two worlds didn't seem to come together to to share. Um, and So, I mean, my dad had always nailed it to us that, look, the minute I accepted God's call, I, I accepted it for all of us. And if you are my child, you are called one way or another. And so I had always been kind of having this idea that, okay, there's a calling. um, I don't know what it is. And because you grow up in church all your life, you think, um, what does it mean? Does it mean I serve in ministry? What does it look like? And even though I understood what my dad said and had accepted it, but I never felt... Quite at home at church, I never really felt like I belonged um, i mean the the rules that governed how a girl should behave, should be, should carry herself all of that for me just I felt like. I wasn't catered for. I felt like what I was told to be God's will for me um, and what what I was told that God wants from me and what I thought I could be and what I thought I could give, they were just not in sync. Um, this um, well-behaved, um, softly-spoken girl, who has to wear nice long skirts, um, can't laugh out loud, um, has to submit to some man someday, and has to prepare herself for that all her life, can't have too big dreams, um, can't be too loud, can't be too free. Look, all of that for me, I it, it just didn't represent who I was and who I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, look, the, I understand that God loves me, but I, if 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 God wants me to be someone else for me to be acceptable mm. to this institution that that seems to be what the the custodian of of God's um, laws and all of that, then I don't think God and I can mix because. Why does he want to change me? Mm. Uh, Because I wanted to be free. Um, I wanted to have a crush and embrace it Mm. Um, (laughs) without feeling guilty, without feeling like I was cheating on God. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I wanted to be able to laugh out loud without being called names, you know? Mm And for the life of me, I couldn't reconcile the the notion of submission. (laughs) All my life, Mm. just one day this man comes and I just have to (laughs) submit. Like like I never had dreams. I never had hopes for myself, what that my whole existence was so that someday I can provide help support through this man who has like a bigger and more important vision, or vision, sorry, vision. Um, All of those things didn't make sense to me. And so while I loved God and loved the idea of church, I really didn't like what they represented and what what they required of me. Mm -hmm. And so, I I found especially when I give, I got to the SJC where I'm at now. I think I, I found expression mm. there, um, I mean, and I was old enough to make my own decisions at the time. I didn't have to run everything through my dad, so I could just be
2: mm-hmm.
1: right. And and the SJC is not a Christian organization. Yeah, I want so, us, okay. I want us to, to to even come because we've
0: actually not told people what you do. We've mm. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. have us. told people what you do and maybe this is the right time to segue into that and say uh, how you found yourself into the SJC, what the SJC does and how then you can connect that to the story of- okay. Of the church and the what you are expected to be on that end.
1: All right. So the the SJC, the Social Justice Coalition, is a social movement essentially. Um, and when we talk about the SJC, we say we fight for people's rights to life, dignity, safety. Um, there's another thing. It's for it's four things: life. Dignity, safety. I'll think about the, the fourth thing. And we do that. We are based in Kailicha, um, a township, and we our focus when we say we fight for people's rights to life, dignity, safety, our focus is people staying in informal settlements because what we have found in 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 South Africa's democracy is that there's an everyday assault on people's rights, poor black people's rights, um, that they don't have access to proper and adequate sanitation, that they don't have access to um, safety and and proper policing systems. Um, And everything else we've spoken about when we're talking about informal settlements, literally that infringes on their right to life because in an informal settlements, you really are every day, every day you are flirting with death just by being. Mm. And so we try to get people's rights to access to adequate sanitation. And this is something that we've been doing since 2009. We established in 2008 um, as a response to, if you remember 2008, I don't know how many of your listeners will remember, but there was like a spread of xenophobic attacks across South Africa. Yes. Um, I and the SJC
0: because I was I was in Cape Town at that time. It was,
1: it was bad.
0: It was horrible. Yeah,
1: it it was horrible. And so organizations that uh, uh, that were working in Khayelitsha at the time, and Khayelitsha was one of the hardest hit. Um, townships. I know um, Danun was one of those and um, some area in KZN and I think Umlazi, um, but there were a few across South Africa that were the hardest hit townships and in Cape Town that was Danun, to and Kailich, um, And so community leaders, community activists, and Organizations that were in Kailisha came together uh, as an urgent response to that. People were displaced, um, and so they needed urgent shelters. There was a need for clothes, food, and so they came together to respond to those urgent needs. And from then on, there was, you know, when 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 something like that happens, you people start to think about the causes, right? And I always say, to to put that in context for me, if you think about the economic um, conditions in in, in 2008, there was a global recession. And that meant that people were losing jobs in droves. And so, you know, poor people will always be scrapping for this, tiniest of resources, right? And so, of course, the most vulnerable amongst the poor will be at the receiving end of violence because people are trying to survive and they are trying to to kill whatever they think they have power over. So yeah. foreign nationals, especially in townships and informal settlements, people are not registered. People don't have the necessary papers. They likely would that they are going to go to the police to report um, violence. It, very, very limited. If they do go, they're going to be exploited by the police themselves. And that makes them even more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so, as much as we we think about xenophobic attacks and what causes them, and for me, I think every time there's a stretch in the economy, every time um, people lose jobs in, 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 in their hundreds, you are likely to see um, a rise in xenophobic attacks, you are likely to see a rise in, in, in gender-based violence and femicide because in the scratching for limited resources, whoever is the weakest and whoever is the most vulnerable is always in the receiving end for violence.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. so yeah, just, so that was the context at the time. And so one of the things that people were fighting over uh, were, it was access to service delivery. There aren't enough toilets, there aren't enough this. And so the first people to be accused of having come here and having taken our jobs, taken our things, the service that's supposed to be going to South Africans is now going to these foreign nationals. There's always these accusations, right, being um, leveled against foreign nationals. Every time people feel desperate um
0: and, and you know what's always so funny is that it's foreign nationals when you say when we when there's the, even here in kenya when it's an accusation about foreign nationals, it's never about the rich mm. foreign nationals no 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 <laughs> no, no no
1: never
0: even never. even in the in america the united states and the story of the immigrant the immigrant yeah. is never the the white immigrants who've come into the no, country. The white No, no, no. Immigrants. The immigrant is the other poor black uh, Mexican Spanish. Mm-hmm.
1: We have problems with the poor. And I I guess for me, it, it says the same thing everywhere that <laughs> poverty attracts violence. Because poverty is a state of violence, right? You're already being violated because you're poor and you're living in poverty. And it seems like violence is attracted to poverty um, because you're vulnerable and that makes you a target for everyone. And of course, it's never going to be the rich people, the rich foreign nationals because they are protected by money. (coughs) And so, uh, as I was saying from there, the work of the SJC started and the focus was on two things, policing, and access to basic services. Um, And we have been doing that work for for the past, um, what, 11, 12 years now, Um, trying to to, to reimagine informal settlements and what the upgrading of informal settlements would look like. Um, And so engaging communities and the state in terms of how we go about achieving an upgraded and a more livable um, condition for people staying in informal settlements. So how do we upgrade informal settlements to be real dignified neighborhoods that people will call their home and where people will feel safe? And how do we improve policing um, in, in those areas as well? I mean, one of the biggest things right now that we are trying to push for is that as things stand, um, the police of South Africa do not have um, clear guidelines in terms of how you police an informal settlement. And there are over 3 million people staying in informal settlements in South Africa. Do you mean to tell me that for what, how many years after the the death of apartheid, you still haven't developed a plan. We know informal settlements have been a thing Mm. since before democracy. And to this day, um, the South African Police Service hasn't really thought through how one goes about providing a policing service to an informal settlement. And that means over 3 million people aren't planned for. Mm. That means over three million people remain victims of crime, um, with very little prospect of justice because there's no plan to to police and informal settlements in South Africa, and so we we are trying to we are trying to get all of those things improved. How do we police better? Mm. Oh, what does a rights based policing system look like? Mm. Because as much as we are calling for more police resources, because there's there are high rates of crime in informal settlements, how do we call for more resources, but also call for a more human and more rights-based kind of policy, right? Um, we know, for instance, in areas like the US, where there's an over-policing of black bodies. Mm. Uh, and from my understanding of that, and and sort of trying to compare it to what's happening in South Africa, where we're saying, and people in formal settlements are saying, we don't have enough police, right? Mm. And so, what we are trying to think through is, there is definitely going to be unintended consequences mm. because we are we are calling for more police, but we know the relationship of police and black people at least. Yeah. um here yeah. we know we know the violent relationship between black bodies and 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 the police um everywhere, and we know that by calling for more police we are calling for more police violence, yeah. so how do we balance these two asks how yeah. do we how do we get to a point where we have well trained and human um, rights-based policy. So that people in informal settlements feel safe because there's police visibility. People know that if I go to a police station to report a crime, I'm gonna be responded to. Mm. But how do we do that without exposing black people to more (laughs) police violence? And it's a thing that we really haven't figured out Um, And for many years, we have been calling for a redistribution of police resources from areas that don't have a lot of um, crime incidents, especially violent crime incidents, for those police um, resources to be distributed to areas that have a high rate of crime. But now we are really thinking through what does policing look like, what does... yeah? the right kind of policy looks like. Yeah. Misingi is a Swahili word meaning
0: foundation. Our name and mandate comes from Psalms 8914. We host engaging conversations on faith, social justice and advocacy across all our social media platforms. We also offer training and consultancy services to help you navigate the world of social justice and faith. To engage with us, visit our website www.masingitrust.org follow us on all our social media handles or email us on info at trust.org. I hear what you're saying because I generally think that the police is, um, is an institution that needs to, to be folded mm. and I because One, the reason that the police was established, the policing, the kind of policing we have right now is Mm. is to protect property of the rich and of the white people. And so I I don't think we can reform the police. This is my personal view. Sure, Sure. I don't think the police can be reformed. I think, but also I think the reason. If we were to tackle poverty and inequality, we wouldn't need the police. If we had, sure. if we had um, equal, equal societies where everybody had access to 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 basic the basic needs—food, clothes, shelter—and all that. Mm. If we had mm. a society where all of us were in that in the sense, and we are talking about the police, the way we know them, the way we know yep. them the violent people who are who will arrest you for just walking Do you know in kenya even now you can be arrested for at night you can be arrested for walking at night and it's and part of it is still stems from the um from colonial laws colonial type of 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 colonial Some of the colonial policing laws are still intact, and so if we are mm. to, we have to undo. And why people, even the police themselves, why they police and why
1: they say they police? Yeah. Mm. <sighs> yes, I, I I hear you, and I agree. I agree a hundred percent. But I think my biggest thing right now, especially for South Africa, I mean, for instance, let's just talk about the level of violence uh, against women in South Africa and how we are said to be the most, how do I say this in in proper English? So for a country that's not at war, we have the highest um, femicide and gender-based violence cases. Mm -hmm. We are only matched by countries at war. Mm. I mean, and as things stand, and I think you've painted it so well, in the the problem and the flaws in our policing systems. And I think they are replicated across Africa. Um, But as things stand, it seems like, especially for many women, it seems like the only hope is that perpetrators be arrested and yeah. and we, of course we know that going to jail has not been any sort of what um, rehabilitation. There's there's nothing. If anything, people come back from jail more violent and more desensitized to violence. Mm. And so yes, I. I hear you very well, but I'm also wondering what happens in the meantime, what happens in the interim? Mm. Um, Mm. Yeah. But that's that's literally where we are. We are having all of those tensions right now to say, look, we are calling for more police, but what about this other aspect of violence from the police themselves? And how do we manage both those things?
0: policing in itself like i just yeah it's a whole can of (laughs) bones so now how do you connect because i've seen uh videos of you leading protests i've seen uh videos of you leading um uh conversations that are very um engaging, how and you'd say that you're, that you're an activist and a feminist because you're a Christian. I'd like to, to explore that as well. What, what about your faith lead, takes you to the streets?
1: Sure, Jesus, mm-hmm. that's what about my faith takes me to the street. Mm-hmm. and maybe maybe even even before jesus um 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 john let let John John the Baptist a son of a priest, right? yeah and so has access to the temple and would could likely be a priest himself okay. um, but doesn't see himself. Identifying with the with the church of his time, right? He calls them what the the breed of vulture, of vultures. Eh? What does he say? But 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 um, John decides, with all the privilege that he had um, as a son of the priest and all of that, decides that look the state of the church currently is not something that I feel my calling aligns with. And so he goes to the wilderness. And instead of calling people to the church, he calls people to God, but away from the church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And as the so-called forerunner before Jesus, Jesus comes and sort of builds on that trend as well doesn't go to temple, hell isn't even accepted in the synagogues. Mm. Um, And that calls people to God, calls people to repentance away from the church. Mm. Because I think for me, for both these men, the church wasn't what they felt that they were called to align with the church at the time for me had moved and the church for me now has moved from being the voice of justice Mm. and has moved from being I mean I'm I'm saying a lot of things but maybe you my point will be clear at the end of this (laughs) (laughs) let's go back a bit to to apartheid South Africa Mm -hmm. right who has the loudest voice? Isn't the church calling um, and talking and prophesying against an unjust system? Mm. Um, everywhere, look at the US. Um, um, you Martin Luther King Jr. Mm. Yes. Yeah. These are prophets, um, that are talking at the peak of oppression, at the peak of violence against Black people and against the vulnerable, these people see it as their divine duty to speak mm-hmm. against injustice. And it seems for me that we, as the church, have moved away from that, from the being that voice in the wilderness, as John puts it, um, that that speaks as a critique to the current situation, that speaks as a critique to, to the powers that be, and even to the church when it needs be, mm. you know? So for me, believing in Christ and, and calling myself a believer, isn't about, you know, going to heaven one day, mm. Um, isn't about policing people everyday behavior like whether or not we are in love with women as a woman or you are attracted to other men as a man but at the heart of it all mm. how is the love of God represented in my everyday life mm. um, how is justice um, because I believe in, in, in a God of justice how do I live that um, every day? and for me that is that is not is not um man made manifest in in hiding in the four walls of the church and speaking in new tongues
2: mm.
1: or preaching to people that already know that Christ, Christ came and died for for people's sins but i think at the heart of it for me it is about speaking for the vulnerable mm-hmm. feeding the hungry you know Declaring freedom to the captives, yeah, and like as 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 um, Isaiah says, that the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and the spirit of the Lord is upon me, so that I can do these things.
2: Yeah,
1: not just because I can feel nice and and mm-hmm. you know, feel like I'm peculiar, I'm a chosen nation, chosen generation vibes. No, mm-hmm. but because I can preach the good news to the poor. And, and in my context. It, it, yes,
0: and it's the, it's the remem, it's reminding that good news to the poor
1: is economics. It is economic. It is e- equality. Um, you know, it, it is having a, a, a correct political system, correct policy system, correct economic system. That is the good news to the poor. Not that you are going to go to heaven one day. Mm-hmm. When you know that there are people experiencing heaven, right? 15 kilometers away from you and you are sitting here in hell, Mm -mm. You know? And strangely enough, when Jesus kind of reintroduces, when he introduces himself, he opens that same scripture. Yeah. And says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me.
2: Yeah.
1: And he's anointed me. Not only has he anointed me just for me to speak in tongues, He's given me an assignment. Yeah. And that assignment is to preach good news to the poor, set captives free. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it, 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 it wasn't a mistake that I was born where I was born and I've experienced the life I've experienced. Mm-hmm. So that I know that when I'm talking about freedom to the captives, I know the urgency of it because I, it's mm-hmm. my own life experience. It's my own everyday experience. When mm-hmm. we talk about good news to the poor, when you talk about feeding um, the hungry, you know how urgent it is uh, not having food. Yeah. And you don't want anyone telling you about a God that will provide. You want food now. Mm-hmm. And if God is going to provide, God is going to provide through someone bringing food now. Yeah. And through someone doing the work so that um, someone in the next generation is not sitting and worried about where their next meal will come from.
2: Yeah.
1: I have to do that work. If I believe in God, who have anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Maybe my good news to the poor is to make sure that my children and the children of my peers, wherever they are, will not be sitting and worried about where their next meal will come from. Mm. How do we undo this system? How do we bring it to its knees, even mm. so that people can eat, people can be clothed, people can have shelter over their heads. Mm. How do we it, it, for me it's, it's it, that's what it means to have the spirit of the Lord upon you. Um, mm. and I think it will take being um like Jesus and John, like Being a voice in the wilderness, like John was, and being society's reject, um, Mm. Mm. to give birth to a new system that works for everyone. Mm. And maybe lastly, it will take us not spiritualizing the death of Jesus too much, Mm and thinking about Jesus as an activist that spoke, like, spoke against the system that was unjust to his people and was killed by that system. Mm-hmm. It's, it, sometimes it's, it's as simple as that. Yeah. Because if we fixate on Jesus being sent and Jesus um, what, before the foundations of the world, <laughs> it's up there. it's abstract, it makes no sense. Mm. But if we see Jesus as the everyday man who ate with the sinners that were not um sinners people to, to, to have fellowship with, um, mm. didn't allow for a group of, a mob of men to stone a woman to death because she was caught in, in an act of adultery as though he was, she was doing it alone. Um, Seeing Jesus as this man who allowed the so-called prostitute to anoint his feet, and everyday man who went against the status quo because he understood that there was a possibility for a better system.
2: Mm.
1: And I think that's exactly that about my faith that that makes me do the work that I do. And lastly, because if, my, my honest belief is that if, the point of Jesus coming on to earth and dying and all of that was to just free us from sin, 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 sin. He could do Mm. that from heaven, I promise you. Yeah. To atone Mm. to God for our sins, kaka only. (laughs) He could do that from heaven, promise you. He didn't need to come here for what, 33 years? He came here because he needed to demonstrate how. Mm. How do you love your neighbor like you love yourself? right? Um, My brother always quotes, um, I don't know if you know him or not, um, he says when Jesus is asked, um, which is the greatest commandment? Mm. Jesus says, um, you shall love your God with all your heart, mind, soul.
2: Yeah.
1: But he takes it further, right? He doesn't Mm. just stop there. He says the second commandment, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, is as important as the first one. And the second one is to love your neighbor like you love yourself. Mm -hmm. And what I I like, and I think what I was trying to say about what my brother says is that Jesus didn't have, he wasn't asked for two biggest Mm -hmm. commandments. He was asked for one, but he felt that the second one was equally important and he says, while you are commanded to love your God with all your heart, it does not end there. You are also commanded to love your neighbor as you love yourself.
2: Yeah.
1: And how does that look like in, in, in present day South Africa? How does that look like in present day Kenya? Mm. And how do we continue every day to live out those, those um, commandments if mm. we believe we are anointed and the spirit of the Lord is upon us? we can't be hiding in church
0: yeah Mandisa you keep you know when you're speaking this I keep coming back to the fact that sometimes you have to choose the wilderness you have to choose um, away from temple away from church and, and be radical in the wilderness for the sake of the kingdom you know for the sake of, of of God's kingdom, God's people, and when we, mm-hmm. for people's humanities, you know.
1: Yes. yes. I feel like you took me to church, Mandisa. <laughs> and I haven't been to church in the longest time. You took me there. Oh, <laughs> as we're as we're we
0: concluding this conversation, Mandisa, I. I don't even know what to because i you you spoke about feminism mm-hmm. I, so we talked about that you're a Christian because you're you're an activist because you're a uh, you're a christian so what mm-hmm. what about um, your faith makes you a feminist sure
2: huh.
1: I mean again again two two things the belief in a god of justice and again if 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 jesus is the embodiment of our faith and the embodiment of the the fullness of god for us then for me those two things one because if we understand ah uh, sorry if we understand when i carol the 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 introduction of christianity in africa um and how it came as an entirely new faith new thing that introduced to us a new way of living um And that coupled with slavery that it came with, with colonialism that it came with, um, and taught us that some people were subhuman, others were above, some were above others, and created a whole mess of people building hierarchies and trying to be better than the next person. And so because the gospel to us was presented by white men, it had to paint god and the image of god in the image of these people right because i mean i believe that every every what every race people people kind of we are created in the image of god right but we sort of create god in our own image even ourselves When white people came in and presented God, they had created the kind of God they wanted us to worship. And that was a white man, Mm -hmm. right? And I don't believe it is the will of God to have one gender um, subservient to the other, to have one race subservient to the other. I believe we are created equally. Mm -hmm. And so Christianity interwoven with the capitalist, um, colonialist, Um, culture that is at its very core oppressive, teaches us that men are above women, teaches us that black people are, uh, are below white people, teaches us all these things that makes us look down upon some people's humanity because of their gender, because of who they are in love with, and because of their race. And I am a feminist because I believe that in the eyes of God, we are the same and we are equal. And I'm a feminist because for the longest time, black women have been in the receiving end of violence
2: Mm.
1: um, and oppression. And for me, feminism is literally the right of black poor women to call their bodies their own. Mm. to be free to be whatever whoever to be in love with whatever whoever they want to be in love with to be whoever they want to be the ability to choose Mm. the person you feel like you're created to be Mm. you know and in an unfeminist world if there's such a thing women are prescribed to women are are given this idea that they need to fit themselves into. Mm. And there's no freedom to say, I am Mandisa and this is who I am and embrace Mandisa in her fullness. Mm. And for me, feminism gives us language to to talk about those things. Um, for women to be, and and it's, it's not about, Um, shaming women who want to wear a duke and and long skirts. Mm -hmm. Because if you feel empowered being like that, then sis, be that woman. If you feel empowered in a short um, skirt and whatever, sis, be that woman. What we want and I think the world that we envision where everybody will be free, this is a world where everybody will be free to choose who they are. Yeah. And who they feel like God has created them to be, and I think again, Jesus' stubbornness in going against the current. I know as things stand in the church, you can't be feminist in the church. You can't be. Um, you can't be pro queer people. Yeah, because those are supposedly against the will of and, God. And even
0: not even. You can't, you can't even be queer in the
1: church. Live alone No, live so queer, like that. You can't. you can't, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if, if God is fair, if God is just, if God is for all of us, then God is for all of us. And feminism for me is just exactly that, that God loves you as you are for as long as being who you are is not oppressive to another person um, and is not, you know, you are not endangering other people by, by being who you are. Then, that's a flourish, be who you are because that's that, that's who God wants. Mm. And if we believe to be created in the image of God, then the image of God must be represented in all its marvelous forms. Yeah. And so that's exactly I think my my understanding of why my faith pushes me um, to be feminist, because for as long as we have, you know, no, we want to be free, but those people, those people can't be free. Um, no, we want freedom for everyone, but not for the queer. We want freedom for everyone, but not for women. We want freedom for everyone, but not for the differently abled, you know? then our our freedom is meaningless. Our fight is meaningless because for as long as there's some part of our society that is not accounted for in the freedom that we are fighting for, Mm. this freedom that we are fighting for will continue to represent the oppression that we are trying to fight.
0: Thank you, Mandisa, for that wisdom, for that um, taking us back and taking us to church, taking us back to the to the crowd man
1: i miss buyani <laughs> i miss prof buyani i miss prof oh my god we lost so much when we lost prof oh my god i don't know
0: i miss prof buyani i miss prof so much oh uh, if you're wondering who it is we are talking about we are talking about professor buyani who passed on i think a year and a half ago 2019. Oh, yeah years. yeah yeah and, yeah, and, and he talked to us, he talked to us, he talked a lot about the kraal, which is like the the place where the cows go home to, to sleep and how that makes, gives the homestead life, but also about Black dignity and Black theology and Black liberation,
1: mostly. And yeah. what a home is, and yes. what a home is for Black people.
2: Yeah. And
1: yeah yo I loved Prof so much. he gave me so much hope for black people
0: yeah yeah <sighs> this thought I, I, I was going to be sad in this conversation. We miss you prof we miss you so much and thank you for the time that you that you gave us. <sighs> any parting shots you are any- making me cry. <laughs> Uh, it's so sad uh, my sister to lose someone who sees you and who sees your story you know and who who tells you about your identity without shaming it you know Who, who 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 speaks to you and who even makes you and my tears are out now let's just cry who, who reminds you of who you used to be before
2: yes. you were
1: misnamed, before you were yeah. other? Yeah. Yeah, we lost. Yeah. I mean, I would love how he, he, he talked about how when white people came to Africa, mm-hmm. brought their idea of home with them here even with the trees and the plants and the buildings, yeah. how he would say that if, if you look at Cape Town and other cities in, in Africa, mm. they, are, they look exactly the same as cities in the West. You go to the US, you go to New York, you go to Berlin. Anyway, mm. you will see the same idea of home, the same idea of a city that you see in Africa. Because when these people came here, they they brought their home with, and in doing that, they stole what means home to us.
2: Yeah,
1: and displaced us from our own home.
2: Yeah,
1: so that we have now what we call informal settlements, and we are in this state of limbo. We are move. We are just yeah. floating and belonging nowhere. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: We need. I think you know what we need to do. We need to have um, a podcast um, conversation, remembering, uh, Prof, remembering uh, his lessons. Because, man, I I just sat under his wisdom in LUT for one session, in my
1: life, my life, forever changed. Look, I will. Uh, I I think I've been like in, in two, three of his lectures. Mm. I mean when he speaks, I'm like, I do not even need to comment it. I must just sit and take it in, take everything in. And how he would teach with so much simplicity and so much humility mm. and humor. Yeah, ah, what an amazing man.
0: Ah, the, I remember when he passed on, I, I just felt like our crowd, our yeah. bomber. Our homestead, our yeah. had, been robbed, had been robbed, had been robbed and robbed
1: violently. Yeah, and it's weird because because he had seen him two weeks before. Mm. Um, he was in Joburg and he visited his house and he came back saying, "Look, Prof is is recovering. Mm. Um, he's back to his full strength. Of course, he's not. He has not started fully working again. But look, there's hope. Prof is back." Mm-hmm. And two weeks later, we get the news of his passing, and I was like, I don't know anymore. Okay. I don't know anymore. And without giving you mm-hmm. <laughs> more stress, I <laughs> mean, when Prof died, mm-hmm. I just reflected on how a lot of good people die young, good black people are taken from us. Mm-hmm. I mean, Prof was what in his early fifties. Yeah. How is it that all the people that give us hope? Mm. Um, I mean, historically, why why would Steve Bigot die so young? Thirty nine. Why would Martin Luther? Lula... Yeah. Yeah. In his thirties, why would Martin Luther King die so young? Mm. Thomas Sankara, why are our people dying so young people that have a clear vision of where we need to go as black people? Yeah. They are always brutally, brutally taken away from us. Chris Honey, mm. these men die young. Yeah. And it's the people with the
0: alternative vision of who we are without uh, subjugation, you know? The people with the dream and the ability to move us from one place to the next, and they are killed. Majority of them are killed, you know? Patrice Patrice Lumumba from Congo. Patrice Lumumba. And Congo is, is a mess right now. Right, and can be linked directly to what the Belgians did. The, yeah, and yet <sighs> now we we will be so. It's easy for us to say Congolese people are X, Y, and Z, and we and then we'll say, Berlin, no, the Belgians.
1: You know they are. Mm-hmm. They are proper. They, yeah, yeah. And I mean, and how the West just marvels at how Africa is underdeveloped. Yeah. How African leaders are animals and but like Ngasi, have you forgotten what you did? Yeah. Have you forgotten that we are here where we find ourselves as a direct result of your action? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you
0: know, I remember, I remember at the at, at the just the last justice conference, there was a mm. lady who said, we were talking about land and uh, someone said that she remembers, her family remembers how they were removed from their farm mm. by these white people. And they can, they said, and these are the words that will never come out of my head, that we can directly link our poverty to that action of being removed from land. And, all, and then that family, the one that took their farm, huge and huge acres of them, can directly link their wealth from that action.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that is the story of Africa. Yeah. The West can directly link its, its development, its riches to the dispossession of Africa. Yeah. There's a clear, direct link, white people they can link their world to the direct dispossession of black people, black land. Mm. And if justice doesn't, our work of justice doesn't push us to say those things, to tell that truth to the white church, then there's no need for church. Let's all go home. Let's
0: Let's fold
1: it. Because if we are going to sit here in a false state of peace, Mm. then there's no point.
0: Yeah, (sighs) so what, how then shall we live? You know that question, what do we do, what do we do? How do we, how do we do this?
1: In all honesty, Mm -hmm. look, there's a part of me that wants to say I don't know. But also, I mean, I think we all know what needs to be done. We all know that we need the system as we know it to die, to be brought to its knees. Yeah. Um, and 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 for me, I guess that goes for what sacrificial living. How do we how do we live our our lives sacrificially? Um, to To give birth to to a new system, mm. and that's 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 probably the part I don't know. how do we do it? how do we because i mean in the current state, we aren't, we can't even call for war. we can't say let's go to war mm. because we know that's not gonna
0: work and 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 the people who who will go to war
1: with. Have the monopoly of violence. They have everything to kill us. They have everything to kill us, but also the the state of blackness right now, we will kill each other before we kill the enemy. That's true. And yeah. Our men will rape us and kill us before Mm. they can tackle. (laughs) Mm. So. I don't know. And I'm starting to think our only hope is, how are we deliberately kind amongst Black people? Mm. How do we deliberately build spaces of love and kindness? Because townships and, and Black spaces are already spaces for violence. And so the alternative is to be deliberately kind and to deliberately share love. And in that way, you are breeding at least a few people um, who will understand what kindness, what love, what justice look like. And then those people in their own corners will replicate the same thing. I don't know, but I think, how how do we deliberately love Black people Mm. and give them an alternative to violence? Mm. Because that's what's missing. That's why we find ourselves here. We have been destroyed so much that we are unable to love Blackness because Blackness has been presented to us as evil.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we have been subjected to so much violence, so much that it, it has become one with Blackness. Violence and Blackness has become one thing. And so we need an alternative, and that alternative has to be love and kindness. Mm. And it has to start in the small corners that we find ourselves in. Mm. At least I think, and I know it's difficult to love Black people. Ooh, it's it's really difficult, and <laughs> um, because we are trying to love when we were taught not to, we are trying to love what we were taught to reject, because we were taught to reject Blackness and aspire to be white. Um, So we are trying to go back and learn how it is to love Black people and to love Blackness and to create spaces of safety and love in Black communities. And hopefully, those spaces then create grounded human beings that will start to reimagine and rebuild the world um, that we want to see.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking that's that's the vision that Kwame Nkrumah and his team had, you know, of one Africa, yeah. you know,
1: yeah. of, mm.
0: of one Africa. And it doesn't matter whether you're in diaspora, it doesn't matter whether mm. you're, you're part of the enslaved who are taken from this continent, but that we mm. are one Africa. And so maybe what we are talking about is coming back to Ubuntu, to uh, yeah. african to yeah. to what I love calling black boy joy, black girl joy, you know? Yes. Finding yes. joy in the things that we do. And because when we sit, we laugh and we laugh. We know the things that make us happy. We know the things that yes. bring us joy, <laughs> you know? Mm. So hmm. maybe it's a return to joy, return to kindness. Yes. <sighs> Any words for your twins? I know you have, um, they are now two years old, anything. What What? What Africa do you want them to see in? in by the time that they are adults? or maybe when they're 15.
1: In Africa, where they are not scared of Black men. Mm. Yeah. Just the ability to love Black men without the fear that comes with that. You know, I was telling my husband that I have this complicated relationship with Black men. I love them, but mm. also I fear them so much. Mm. And I would love for my girls to not have that dilemma, Mm. to be able to freely love their brothers without the fear of thinking, is he gonna kill me? Is he gonna rape me? Is he gonna rob me, you know? Mm. I would like for them to be in an Africa where they are also free to to be whoever they choose to be. Mm-hmm. I want my girls to if 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 it happens that one of them has a queer identity and chooses to live that out, I, I really, really don't want my kids to come out to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I want Kao Opal to just bring their girlfriend home. Mm-hmm. Without having to sit and go through and eye down to say, you know mama. <laughs> yeah. And that. Nah, I, I'm gay, I, I, I'm i in love with this girl. No, I want, I want for it to be as easy as it is for, for heterosexual kids in homes where that is allowed for you to bring your, your, your boyfriend, girlfriend home. I want them to just come home and say, Mama, this is so and so, she's my girlfriend.
2: Mm.
1: Or oh, Mama, I, I've fallen in love with this girl, can I bring her home? Mm you know i don't want her to sit me down and say um, i know this will come as a disappointment to you but i am tired of living a lie i thought let me just be honest with you and <laughs>
2: yeah
1: wow <you're>, yeah, so <laughs> yeah so yes yes that that's what i hope for my babies. That's your
2: hope for your
0: babies thank you you've taken me to so many places in this conversation and thank you
2: Thank for your time you.
0: thank you for your vulnerability and thank you for your love for us because i think you i know that your work for our freedom is because of your love for us and thank you so so much um to all of you who've listened to us mandy said you have any last thing to say or are you good
1: um yeah that there's hope guys there's hope for africa let's just keep doing the work
0: Yeah. and thank
1: you for listening to my rambling
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a lot of wisdom that's not rambling so yeah so thank you guys from all over thank you for sitting in as we are conversing uh mandy says a dear sister and i am so glad that uh we got to share this conversation so as always let's keep doing justice and see you for the next episode if you've been inspired challenged and or enjoyed this conversation and would like to contribute to this and catch up with more of such remember to follow us on social media share this podcast with your friends and family and also consider making a donation to support the production of this podcast donations can be made through paypal msingikenya at gmail.com patreon at msingikenya or through mpesa plus 254-792-176-030
2: kwaherini and thank you for joining us